Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the Drunken Storytellers podcast. Today, I'm going to tell you a story of murder, a coloured beard, feminism, and a dictionary entry. But first, as always, well, you know I do this. What am I drinking? So, uh, today's story takes place in France, and it has connections with Brittany. So, I really wanted to get hold of some Breton cider. Yeah, I failed at that, because... um, Supermarkets are shit. So uh, I'm actually drinking Aspel cider instead. It's British. It's from Suffolk. It's not from that area of France uh, or even like Cornwall or anywhere close to that area. But it's cider, so it kind of connection there, I suppose. I don't know. It's either that or go go out and buy some Cronenberg 1664, which I am not going to do because that's shit. Quick reminder that I'm running the London Marathon as always. Um, link is uh, for the charity and the donation page is down below running for no man is an island who are a charity to promote hpv awareness and trying to stop five percent of cancers worldwide so cool uh please do to give them a check out what else have we got uh the next game the next uh live play rpg streamed game thingy that i'm gonna do is gonna be based on the tale that I'm telling today. So that's kind of cool. Um, it's a feminist horror game based on this tale. Uh, it's called Bluebeard's Bride. And to find out more about the game, we'll be live on Twitch on June 18th and 27th at 7pm BST. And it will be on my YouTube not too long after we've uh, live streamed the episode, so you can catch up there. Got another great group of players involved this time, a different group from last time, although I'm not running it. Fiona from What Am I Rolling is going to be running it, so yeah, come along and check it out. It's a really cool game. As I say, today's episode, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the story of Bluebeard and his murderous fuckhead kind of ways, and then we're gonna do a bit of a long discussion about the the, the tale itself and all its kind of connections and where it kind of comes from and and all sorts of other things and uh, why there's apparently a dictionary entry. Once upon a time, in the distant past, the before times, those times when people wore frills and had pom-poms on their shoes, there lived a man. A fine man by anyone's reckoning. He had a fine house. Two, in fact. One in town and one in the country, because he was rich and thought it was fine to have two houses where many people still lived in mud huts and were forced to eat English cheese. He had fine clothes, silver and gold-plated things and coaches, all spangly and over-the-topping gold leaf. Despite all these things making him a fine man, he was not apparently so fine to look upon, for he had a blue beard. This made people shy away from him, and uh, women and girls run from him. Apparently having a blue beard was, was not a marriable quantity back in the past days of yore, though he desired his neighbour's daughter. Not just daughter, daughters. They were ladies of note and breathtakingly beautiful. And he had the means and monies and titles to make them rich and live fulfilling lives. The beard just kind of turned them off for some reason. Either that or the fact he didn't really seem fussed as to which sister he married. 
or that it was known that he'd been married several times before and those ladies kind of mysteriously kept disappearing might have creeped them out a little bit and given them pause for thought in marrying this weird blue-bearded bloke. Maybe it wasn't the blueness of his beard, but who can really say? In an attempt to woo one or other of the sisters, he didn't really seem to care which one, uh, he invited the daughters, their mother, and a few of the ladies of acquaintance, and some other young people of the neighbourhood. In what one can only imagine is an old-timey, week-long, rave-like party-piss-up-bender-type thing uh, in one of his country houses. And yeah, I know I said he only had one house, but now he has more than one. And other things will change throughout this entire story, and not be consistent, because this is how it is written. They had parties, went hunting, fishing, dancing, and there was much feasting and little sleeping. Yet a proper week-long knees up this. Even the mother was enjoying herself. She got right involved in all the parties and the, the no-sleeping and, and things, and was not telling her daughters to be home and be in bed by 8pm. Well, all the partying and good times seemed to pay off for Mr Beard of the Blue. Uh, the younger sister had the time of her life and began to see him as a kind of civil and nice gentleman. I think she was probably more into the idea of week-long parties and all the frivolities going with it and all the gold and silver and money and, and things involved within marrying him now that she'd seen it. So she decided that the blueness of his beard was not that important, but maybe the depths of his pockets and the partying were good qualities to, to marry someone for. So when they returned to town, they were hastily married. This was a bit of a rush shotgun wedding kind of thing, almost as if he was desperate or something. Anyway, a few weeks into their marriage, Mr Beard had to go away on a business trip, probably to buy some more blue beard dye and from the far reaches of somewhere else that will have him gone for a few weeks as well. So off he pops to the shops, which apparently is a six week round trip here. He must really have a, a, a shop in mind for that special blue beard dye for a trip of this length. So. To please his new wife and keep her happy while he was away. And the fact that he has only been married to her for probably less time this trip will take. He gives her the keys to one of his houses so she and her friends could have a good time and all while he was gone, while he was away. Remember that party we had? Well, now, go and do that without me whilst, whilst I go find Beard Dye, he would say to her. He tells his young wife to open all the doors and closets and use all the best things he has in his house. Except, you see that one small, dark, slightly foreboding door down there? Yeah, that one with the dark stains on it. And, and no, 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 that's, that's not a lace dress peeping out from under it. No, it's just a rag. Don't go and open that door. Opening that door is forbidden. Because for no reason I can really justify to you, other than I will get really angry and resent you for it. No, I have no logical reason for this. Just be a dutiful wife and obey your husband, okay? Being the good wife, she promised him she would obey all his rules. Especially, you know, that odd one that sounds creepy and makes no sense and has no reason behind it. Especially that one. That one she shall obey. Oh yes, oh yes she shall. Definitely obey that one. Almost as soon as his coach had left the driveway, her friends were around. Like they'd been hiding, maybe behind a tree or around a corner or something, waiting for him to leave. They couldn't wait to get into the house and see all his fine furnishings and things. But obviously only now he was gone, because 
he was creepy and weird and had a blue beard and they didn't really like him. Her friends were immensely excited to be given free reign and to look at all the shiny things in the house, peering into cupboards, looking into bedrooms and admiring themselves in the full-length mirrors. You know, all the typical things people get up to once left alone in someone else's house. I imagine there were comments about the toilet and the way he hangs the toilet roll and things like that. They had so much fun that they failed to notice that the wife of Mr. Scary Bluebeard was not with them. Do you know, not totally go and look in that place that she wasn't meant to. No, she was a good and dutiful wife. Honest to God, she thought, as she slipped the key into the closet door. I'm a good wife and not totally doing what you told me not to do, as the lock clicked open. There's nothing bad about what I'm doing. He's never been angry with me before, and he has nothing to hide from me, his wife. So nothing bad will ever happen to me whilst I peer into the dark closet he told me not to. See, there's nothing bad in here. I'll go in a little deeper and prove it. Maybe I should get the cleaners in here, though. Uh, the floor seems a little sticky. Oh, it, it stained my dress red. That will be a pain to get out. Hang on a minute. What's red and sticky and not a stick? And why do those things at the back of the room that are shaped like people look like lifeless people? Dressed in women's clothing. Light bulb. Oh crap, they are people. They're women. Oh shit, and they're dead. And this isn't strawberry jam staining my dress. It must be their blood. Clink. The key drops from her hand as she realises that what she is seeing are the bodies of his previous wives. We don't question why they are still fresh and the blood is sticky. It's a folktale and weird stuff happens, right? Maybe it's magic. Quickly, she grabs the key and locks the room back up, trying to clean the blood off her hands and the key as best she could, rushing to her rooms where there was water and soap, when the key just wouldn't come clean. Obviously, they didn't have a silly bang in these days, which would get it right out, but in this story, the key would not come clean. She'd clean one side, turn it over, and it'd be bloody on the other. She'd clean that side, turn it back over again, and the key would be bloody again. Also, you may be wondering at this point where her friends have gone. No one seems to know, for they are never mentioned again in this story. They have disappeared. Now, as chance would have it, Mr Beard returned home that evening. He had barely been gone a day. But apparently he discovered a bottle of his favourite blue beard dye under the seat of his carriage. Must have rolled there on his last trip, you know. And it would do him well for a few months or so. And this totally wasn't a, a trip to test out how good and dutiful a wife you were at all. And no, there was no trick I played on you to see if you would look where you weren't meant to. Now, where are my keys, my good lady wife? Um, and she handed him a large bunch of metal keys. Some were shiny and dainty to open the drawers and cupboards. And some were dark, beaten iron for the heavy doors and gates. All the keys were there. Minus one. Now, look here, wife. Where's the key that I told you not to use? You know the one, the gold one, that opens the door to the place you weren't meant to go. Um, I must have left it up in my room. I was admiring its uh, shininess and must have forgotten to put it back. Honest? You believe me, right? Right, sure, yeah, Um, I, I, I believe you. And after a little back and forth between them, Mrs. Beard eventually caves in and goes and gets the key. Lady wife, I thought you were looking at its shininess. It appears that it isn't that shiny at the moment, because, 
Well, it has blood on it. Now, why does it have blood on it? And rather than coming up with some clever excuse that might get her away from this madman who had clearly caught her in his trap and was probably planning to do to her what he'd done to his previous wives, yes, rather than coming up with her clever plan to try and get out of things, she says, I, I don't know. Her skin turning ashen grey. Well, I do. You saw, didn't you? You went into that room. Now, you must go and stay with the other ladies in that room. Mrs Beard pleaded and begged, but Mr Beard was a bastard, and he had no heart and cared not for her pleas. Nope. You're going to die now. You disobeyed me, so you die. It, it's, it's that simple. How do you not understand? Okay, okay, if, if, if I'm going to die, please then let me say my prayers, alone, in my own room. Let me make my peace, and totally not wait for a rescue from my brothers who totally said they were coming to visit today, and not the friends who have been left wandering around this house and randomly disappeared and are no longer part of this story at all. No, no, none of this. I'm just, I'm just going to go and, and pray and, and, and say my, my dues before you, you, you murderise me. Sure, my wife, you can go say your prayers, but mind you, no more than 15 minutes of praying. You know, I've got a schedule to keep, you know. Like, what with murdering you and beard dying and all. So, she runs up to her room and calls out for her sister, who happens to be around somewhere as well. Anne, she asks with mild confusion, as she suddenly realises that people have names in this story. Go up to the tower there and keep a lookout for our brothers, who should, by any stroke of luck, be just about to arrive. If you see them, get them to get here ASAP, because I'm in a little bit of trouble here. So, Anne the only named character in this story, went up the tower and watched. Impatient, due to about to be murdered, the sister called up every few minutes to ask if they were coming. Between shouts to Mr Beard that she was not quite done with her prayers just yet, and give me a few more minutes, if you'd stop interrupting me then this would go a lot quicker obviously. And after a while, maybe 13 or 14 minutes, just in the nick of time, Anne sees two horsemen galloping towards the house and informs her soon-to-be-murdered nameless sister. Bluebeard, being the impatient murdering sod that he is, gets bored and screams for his wife to come down. She came down and threw herself at him, crying and sobbing and making all kinds of ruckus. Ha! Pitiful wife. Tears mean nothing other than I shall kill you here rather than in the closet away from everyone, right in front of my front door, where no one ever turns up unannounced. And he raised his sword, ready to strike. At that very moment, much like in the movies where the bomb is stopped just as it reaches one second, there comes a loud knocking on the door, and it swings open. The heavy iron-studded door opens into a large room with curving staircases going up either side, and a large golden chandelier hanging in the centre of the room, below which we see a girl on her knees, a large man holding a wicked blade above her, tears streaking her cheeks, and as the light enters the room, glistens on the man's face, catches on the beard, and we see it a striking electric blue. In the doorway stand the figures of two proud men in capes, the capes thrown over one shoulder, and doves fly past them into the room. They came charging in. Bluebeard, 
realising he was actually a bit of a coward and a pathetic little man. And knowing who these two men were, like her brothers, of course, one being a dragoon and another a musketeer, he tried to run the fuck away because cause who wants to fuck with a dragoon and a musketeer? Uh, he knew he was up the creek without a paddle. So he got about a foot before something happened to him. And he looked down to see he had two shiny protrusions sticking out of his chest as the two brothers had managed to catch him and skewer him like a fish. And so ended the bluest bearded murdering asshole of a man to have ever existed. And as fortune or fate would have it, Mr Beard had no heirs. He had no children. Presumably he'd killed all his other wives before they could have had a child, hence the freshness of their blood, maybe. Anyway, as there were no heirs, his surviving wife became the sole owner of his estate. She used the money for good deeds, to help the only named character in the story, Anne, marry the man of her dreams. She brought captain's commissions for her brothers, because that's what rich people do. They buy their way into places. And the rest she kept for herself, so she could marry a man worthy of her, to help her forget her first murderous husband. This time she made sure he had no secret closets or obsessions with Bluebeard dye. So that is a version or an adaptation of the traditional French tale uh, that was first published by Charles Perrault in 1697 in Paris. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, that's my kind of adaptation of it. Obviously, there's quite a bit of a modern twist on some of the language there. But before this was published, it was a well-known oral story that was passed around and, and told in the pubs and taverns and things. And Charles became the first to write it down. And he's also well-known for writing down many other um, fairy tales or folk tales and folklore and oral stories at the time. And he is actually credited as being the creator of the literary, literary style that we now know as the fairy tale. Um, he's the first credited to also write down the story of Cinderella and other famous and loved stories. Um, though they do tend to be a little bit darker than those Disney versions we see now, which is kind of, yeah, folk tales and folk stories and fairy tales. They, they had morals behind them uh, that the Disney ones kind of morphed and made into children's stories. Thank you very much, Disney. Now, before we have a look at the, the kind of themes and modern interpretations of this story, I'm going to go through a quick note on other versions and other kind of things where these themes are met. And, and there's, a, there's a fair few of them, shall we say. Some of them share the same themes. Some, some have similar stories of blue-bearded murdering fuckheads, um, like one of the Grimm's versions, which is actually titled Bluebeard, or sometimes King Bluebeard. Um, which, like many tales, was dropped from later versions of the Grimm fairy tales, later translations and things. The story is near identical, except it's a king who is asking for a daughter's hand in marriage from a lord, who agrees to the wedding because, well, he's a king, and who, who refuses a king? And rather than waiting for her brothers to arrive, she's given a whistle um, that she must blow if she's ever in trouble, and her brothers will come and rescue her. Um, which she does, and then they kill each other. Um, there are other versions in the Grimm's fairy tales, and, and most of them are not included in, in kind of like the modern editions. And so there's one, like a, it's called the Robber Bridegroom, which is similar to the English version called Mr. Fox. There is one other version that does remain in the Grimm's fairy tales, and that's the Fitch's Bird tale, uh, where the Bluebeard character is actually a sorcerer, 
and there is an egg and three sisters. Two of the sisters are murdered, and the youngest one is the one who is not caught and brings in her brothers to kill the sorcerer once she discovers her dead sisters. In France, there's another tale which is similar. Um, this one's called The White Dove, where a lady marries a rich blue-bearded mad... Mad? Man? <laughs> well, he's a bit mad. He's also a murdery giant rather than a man. But um, as a wedding present, her mother gives the lady three coloured doves. A red one to send messages if she is happy and healthy. A white one to send if she is ill. Unlike the usual idea we have nowadays, where white ones mean peace. And a black one to send if she was in trouble. The story kind of plays out the same as the one that I told earlier. But instead of calling for her sister, she sends the black doves to search for her brothers. And the white dove to sit on top of the house and look out for them. The white dove calls out three times to say it sees nothing. And then three more times once to say they are far away. Once to say they're at a middling distance, and once to say they're here. And we're back to that whole number three again that we mentioned in some of the earlier episodes. So, yeah, number three, woo. The brothers come, and they they, they see Mr. Giant sitting there in, in his kitchen, eating food and drinking. And then, apparently, he just promptly just falls asleep at the dinner table. Maybe he's a bit of a lightweight. Um, you never know. Giants... They have a weird thing with drinking and being out drunk by gods and stuff. But anyway, uh, the brothers then kill him in his sleep, which seems a bit of a cheap shot, but worse things can happen in fairy tales. So it's not too bad as Beth, I suppose. Um, other versions, I say there's a version in England called Mr. Fox. Um, there's an Italian version, which translates to Mr. Silvernose. Um, there's even a, a story that kind of shares the similar themes from India. Um, called The Braham Girl Who Married a Tiger. And so, yeah, they all carry the same theme of an asshole murderous husband who basically entraps their wife into looking at something they shouldn't. Usually dead bodies, or in the case of the Braham Girl, his true form as a tiger. And then threatening to kill them as a result. And then the husbands are being killed in various nasty, weird kind of ways. So it's kind of a whole murderous theme going along there. On the whole idea, we're kind of men who murder their wives or kind of multiple serious serial abusers of women it is where the dictionary definition comes in there's a entrance in the merriam-webster dictionary that reads bluebeard and it's defined as a man who is a serial abuser or serial murder of his wives and part or partners generally generally aimed towards women there are a few ideas as to where this story might have originated from, or people it might be based off. Probably the most common connection uh, that is made is to the Breton murderer Gilles de Rey from 15th century France, uh, from Breton in France, hence the reason why I wanted Breton cider, but didn't actually manage to get any. He's quite often referred to as the world's first serial killer. I like to lean towards the world's first, the world's first, the world's worst murdery fuckhead lord and companion of a stand-up freedom fighter, Joan Lark. He was not committed of murdering women, but of brutal murders and sexual assault of children, possibly over a hundred, um, for which he confessed, and he was hung and burnt at the stake. There are also connections of occultism and demon summoning and possible connections to 
child sacrifice. But that's a story for another day. Might look into it. Might not. We'll see. There's another popular connection that is often made, uh, and that is, again, to, to Breton, or Brittany in France. This is an ancient king by the name of Connemore the Accused, or Connemore the Cursed, and his wife, Trifine, who were said to have lived around the 1st century CE, um, and with the story being written down 500 years after his death, so around the 6th century. Um, so... The story goes that Triffin is said to have visited the ghosts of Con- to have been visited by the ghosts of Connemore's ex-wives, who were murdered before they could give birth, and that she was in danger of the same fate. She tried to escape, but was, however, caught and beheaded. There was a saint living nearby by the name of Saint Gildas, who lived or in the area, as I say. He found the body and brought her back to life. Bit of necromancy going on in the church there. A little bit weird. Uh, and they both went and uh, somehow made Connemore's castle fall on his head and then build a church on top of it. But here we can really see a clear connection in this with the Bluebeard um, kind of idea of murdering your wives and things. So, But as a weird, interesting side note, Connemore is also said to have been a bisclavet or a werewolf, and there are a fair few werewolf tales within France, and we will look at them at some point in the future. It's on one of my lists somewhere of things to look at. But this could also be due to a connection in Old Welsh where his name means Great Dog. And there are a few connections with Connemore and other Celtic legends, including the story of Tristan. But again, that's for another episode. Uh, Right, on to some more kind of modern takes on the tale and kind of how we end up with the feminist horror RPG Bluebeard's Bright. Um, as as I've mentioned and as we've seen in other other tales, um, I've told women do tend to seem to get the raw end of the stick in, in folklore and folktales. And you'll see it again in future episodes. And I know in episode 20 there'll be a fair bit of it when we look at the Branwyn story in the second branch of the Mabby. And there's a lot of noggin-noggin and doors and noggins lying around and things. Uh, and by no means, as you as you've heard... Bluebeard isn't really that much different. The wife is not given a name. Her sister is, but the wife isn't. She's portrayed as quite submissive, weak-willed, emotionable, emotionable, emotional. Um, she harbours desires of wealth and fortune and is inherently curious. She'd obviously not heard the phrase that curiosity killed the cat. And for a long time, this was seen as... And it's kind of seen as one of the main morals of the story. That curiosity is a dangerous thing. And for a long time though, whether it was intended or not, it was seen that it was seen more that it was a woman's curiosity was a bad thing. Not curiosity in and of itself. This does speak other times it comes from, and the horrendous views that were held about women in the past. But there is also another meaning in the story that may be Perrault hidden there, but is only now in more modern forward-thinking progressive times coming, coming to light. And that is the empowerment of a woman and empowering women. In the version that I told, the wife is given the opportunity to save herself. Uh, by going off to pray, she manages to get help from her sister, who then manages to get her brothers to come quicker to help and save her life. Yes, she doesn't technically save herself, 
but she's given the means to find her saviors and given the power to make these choices. And a lot of other things, the women are not given the choice. They're just kind of thrown into these things. Like in the in the um, the King Bluebeard tale, the daughter is given to the king. So she's not actually wooed by the king. She's given to the king. So, um, and here she as well, she chooses to marry the guy. She's not given to Bluebeard. So we are seeing a kind of a, a bit of a freedom within for, for the woman in this. I'm not going to say it's it's much, but it's more than we do see in other kind of ideas. She's given the power over her own fate. In other versions of the tale, again, the wife is sometimes the one who actually kills the Bluebeard character. So if you look at Fitch's bride, uh, she, with her brothers, does, does the killing. Um, there's other versions where she actually rescues the other women, either before they are killed or brings them back to life, again, with the necromancy. So we do see a theme here of kind of women being given power to choose their own fight, fate and fight back against a society that was probably being quite oppressive towards them. I don't want to delve into this topic too deeply, but this is a theme that is not that that is kind of it's coming to the forefront within Bluebeard, and it's the one which stands out a lot when you kind of look at feminist folklore and stuff. Bluebeard is thrown out there as one of these ideas, but there are um, other tales out there that do kind of promote strong women, strong female characters. They, they they have good ideas towards gender identity and things like that as well. So look, if we look at um, the mothers of Fionn McCall, for example, uh, Fionn McCall, the great uh, warrior of Ireland and leader of the Fane and stuff like that. And we will, again, we'll look at him at some point. But he was raised in the woods by two women who live together and are complete and total badasses. They teach the young boy everything that he needs to know to survive in the woods and teach him to fight and are just absolutely phenomenal people. And then there's the story that I briefly mentioned in the last episode on changelings in the east, uh, the Tolikaebaya Monogatali, or if only I could exchange them, or often referred to as changeling in English. And it's a story about two children who, who die and they get reincarnated and come back uh, but have their genders reversed uh, in their new bodies. So the boy comes back as a girl, and the girl comes back as a boy. And it's kind of how people react to the new mannerisms and the new personalities that they haven't seen before, and how the, the girl is quite a butch, masculine, goes out and plays sports and fights a lot, and the boy is a lot more effeminate. And it's kind of how how you they, they deal... Uh, the, the people in the story deal with this this idea of uh, a gender reversal roles. Um, and for Japan, it's quite a progressive story, even nowadays. Um, but considering it was written back in the Heian period, which is 794 to 1185, kind of like the same time that Vikings were plundering most of Europe, um, it, it, it's, a, it's an eye-opening story. Um, and... It's one of those stories that has been accepted and loved or hated over the centuries, depending upon how gender roles were perceived in different areas of time. So it's kind of an interesting look at that. Um, but so what we can see here is that all over the world, there are some really good and interesting folklore and folktales that are about throwing off those gender roles uh, or throwing women under the rug and kind of making them 
the lackeys of the male characters. There's a little evidence to suggest that maybe some of the tales were altered when they were written down by the Victorians in England. And obviously the Victorians were notorious for separating male and female roles within society. But each country deals with these things slightly differently. So you'll see tales in different countries doing different things. And uh, one of the interesting kind of things that you see is uh, in France, a lot, a lot of the sexual themes within them were kept uh, and the ideas of like raucous sex and stuff were kept within the stories. But in England, uh, during the Victorian times, well, they were removed because Victorians were prudes and they didn't like that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, this is a discussion that we could go on for a very long time. And there's a lot behind it and there's some really, really cool and interesting concepts into it. And when you do delve into the idea of kind of gender identity and uh, feminism and things within folklore, it gets into a very, very cool places. And I've only really kind of touched the surface here. So uh, as we tell more stories or as I tell more stories and delve into different things, we'll see we'll see this kind of concept appearing in other episodes as well. So I do hope you enjoyed that. Um, and then if you're interested in seeing this tale told as an RPG, um, you can come over to my Twitch channel on Friday the 18th, which is going to be the day after this is released, or the 25th of June, uh, and the 25th of June, because that'll be the second part. Uh, it will also be on my YouTube channel, so if you're listening at this kind of a later date, it will be there, uh, where we are playing the game called Bluebeard's Bride. And it's um, the players in this, you're not playing characters, you're actually playing aspects of the bride's personality, uh, and these are known as the sisters. So you play different aspects of a single character uh, as she wanders around the house with a set of keys, exploring the rooms and discovering the delights of her murderous husband. So please do come and check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fiona is obviously amazing. So if you saw my Things from the Flood game, Fiona played Sarah. She's absolutely brilliant. Um, She's from the What Am I Rolling and the DMs Book Club podcasts. So you can go check her out there. She's been on a couple of the Darker Days radio games as well. So that's kind of cool. Uh, But anyway, that's it for now. Um, I've rambled on for long enough, um, so I should all probably let you get back to doing whatever it is that you should be doing rather than listen to me ramble on. And now the usual stuff, please do go like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on Spotify and Apple. If you are on Apple, please do leave a rating and leave comments because that's a good way to promote it around. Uh, Do share it around on the social medias and stuff like that. Um, you can find me on those social those social medias, so things like Twitter. I'm on there as at the Drunken Store One. I'm on Facebook as the Drunken Storyteller, though that is not very often. <laughs> you can email me at the Drunken Storyteller UK at gmail.com where you can send me suggestions on topics and stories to cover and talk about. Um, you can also find me over at Darker Days Radio where we talk about horror themed RPGs um, and all sorts of cool stuff like that. The cider has run out, and so all that is left for me to say is thank you and goodbye, my friends. <laughs>